God, I feel the Lord uh, uh, for this church. Um, you guys are really close to stepping over, and I think Pastor Roberta knows this in the spirit, into this realm of worship. Uh, and it's going to change here the way that the services are going, y'all's everyday Sunday <laughs> ritual. <laughs> Everybody say, out with the ritual. <laughs> out with the ritual. And the Holy Spirit, I feel that you guys are like stepping over into this place where the worship's going to change. Because listen, listen, listen to me very closely. Worship is not uh, the, the prelude for the message. <laughs> worship is the most valuable thing that we could give Jesus. And to come together as believers, there's a corporate anointing where we could do this. Jesus, I love you. And there's a strength and an encouragement and then a worship that we could give to the Lord that the church knows very little about. And, and I feel it that this place that you guys are going to step over and listen, you need to follow Pastor Roberta's leadership. Um, the Lord's, it, it's kind of like <laughs> going across the Red Sea, you know what I mean? <laughs> And, and, and she's going to be sensitive to things in the future. And she may, maybe I'm over her head right now, but she's going to start to do things that are different. Everybody say different. And the purpose, there's a purpose. Okay, difference, not different, just to be different. So you look cool. When the Lord has someone do things that look out of the norm, it's because you're heading in a direction that's prophetically shifting things. Okay. And, and the Lord's going to start to lead her. And you guys need to be really good followers because it's not going to make sense up here sometimes. Everybody touch your brain. Touch your brain, okay? It's not going to make sense right here. But your heart is going to start to drink from a well of this environment that's going to shift. And so be open. that This has everything to do with the body, with the leadership of this church working together. So everybody say, I'm open. I'm open. <laughs> and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a, a, a well that you guys are going to find life that you could drink from. That's going to start to open up more rivers of living water of the gifts of the Spirit. The movings of the Holy Spirit. The Lord never intended the church to be three songs in a message. Three songs in a message. There are different anointings that need to flow within the corporate body. There's worship services. There's prayer services. There's preaching services. There's evangelistic services. There are services where I believe the Lord wants to get all the believers so jacked. Everybody say jacked. See, jacked is a good word for me. It's a little Tulsa uh, influence there that I believe that you're so jacked that you're just messed up because you're in the spirit getting touched by a Holy Ghost. And, and I believe there's no limit to that pool. And so things are going to start. They're all they're already felt the check. They're already shifting. And you guys need to be on board with what Holy Spirit's doing here. Okay. And the, whoever's leading worship, I don't know who all leads worship here. I know uh, Kim's plugged in. I'm not sure who else you have, but listen to me, worship leaders. Or if you believe you're, you're one that's up and coming to lead worship here. If you are already not setting the precedence in your personal life where you are shutting out the world, lifting your hands and saying, Jesus, I love you. And letting those minutes turn into hours. Everybody say hours. I'm talking to worship leaders now. A worship leader's job is not to be the most talented person in the room, though the talent absolutely has to do with the mark of the call. You need to practice. Our God is not lazy. Okay? You got to practice your skill. David was a skilled musician. 
But see, David had a sanctuary that he built with the Lord where when he was out with those sheep, he would, Jesus, I love you. Read the Psalms. Jesus, like, his heart ached to know the Lord. And, and, and he, he dug this well of intimacy. And so when he would stand up to minister, the evil spirit would leave Saul. Through the power of the worship that was going on. Him opening up his heart saying, Jesus, I love you. This is what a worship leader is supposed to do. They're supposed to fall so in love with Jesus. That when they step into their role, they, they open their mouth. And when they say, Jesus, I love you. It opens the whole church up to the sanctuary that resides in them of that intimate well. And it goes, Whoosh! And it invites everybody into that place to come deeper. Amen. So this is not just for the people or Pastor Roberta, but for anybody that's going to be involved in the worship. To go there in the spirit to make sure that we're all working together in this. Amen. Everybody say things are changing. <laughs> it's going to be good. Amen. Okay, I'm going to shift gears here. You may be seated. Hallelujah. <laughs> Mm. I'm excited. I was really good, Kim. Thank you. I think she was led on the song choices today. You know, that's important, too. Mm. I, I never introduce myself. Um, I'm terrible at that. <laughs> I just get up and start talking and people are like, sometimes if you don't, who is this guy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I think most of you know me. But for anybody that doesn't, uh, I'm Nathan. Uh, me and Richard kind of have uh, started this church in Tulsa. Can I say kind of? <laughs> we started this church in Tulsa together. Um, I've been coming here, I think, for six years. I want to say 2017, around there. So we've been we've been doing some work here for a while together. And uh, my wife is back in our home state where we grew up, Harlingen, Texas, with the grandparents right now, Lori and my, my two little beautiful girls, Mila and Ellie. And Lori sends her love. Um, she was born and raised in South Texas, okay? Um, and if you know anything about the culture and the weather, it's like 90 degrees eight months during the year, you know? And then you get like a mild fall for four months, you know? You know what I'm talking about? You know about South Texas. And so the first time she came here and it was really cold, she said, I ain't coming back unless it's summer. <laughs> she doesn't handle the cold very well. It's like, it's, it's a stretch for her, you know? But she sends her love and, and just she loves everything that's happening. She's connected in the spirit. Um, I feel so connected to this place like family. And I want everybody to know that I believe in what the Lord is doing here in this church and in Marshalltown just as much as I believe what he's doing in Tulsa with us and with whatever he's going to do with everybody in the future. There is no difference for what the Lord is doing here. Take, take the most anointed ministry that you like to listen to. It's a lot of good names we could throw out there. Think about the most anointed prophet that you like to listen to. And you're trying to, you're passing around. You're trying to get everybody to listen to him. Check this out. You know, you know how we do that as Christians. We get inspired and we like to inspire other people. Think about the most anointed preacher that you like to listen to. And I'm telling you, we don't understand that it is no different what the Lord wants to do here than what he's doing there. And it's just as vitally important. Everybody say important for the body of Christ and the whole plan of God at large. And I don't think we understand that the two, the, the biggest ministry that you could think of to this church here that you could look and say, wow, this is a little bit of a small building, you know, that there's a direct connection and the monumental power that's available to change the world is absolutely accessible just as much here. Amen. Amen. 
Because we got the same Holy Ghost. And he has a will, a plan, and a purpose. And he wants all of us to lockstep and walk with him. Amen? But I feel like that devil of same old just kind of makes some of you fall asleep a lot. Or you get so used to the mundaneness here of just smaller city life. And you start to even not even see the purpose. Everybody say purpose. The purpose. God, uh, you know, bigger cities have bigger opportunities. Not in the kingdom of heaven. No. Bigger cities have more potential. Not in God's standards. Just because there's more people and more access, usually to sin, amen, (laughs) just because there's more access to things, that doesn't mean that this place is lesser, okay? And and, uh, I grew up in a city where everybody's running as quick as they can get out of it, saying it is like a God-forsaken place, and, and people are like waiting to get out, you know? And, and I feel like sometimes we get things backwards in God's brain because God's not gravitating to big cities and moving there more than he wants to move in smaller towns. That is just a ridiculous thought. People are people and God, he loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever, including every single person in Marshalltown and Melbourne and all these awesome little cities around here. you know. Oh, man. Do you guys know who Bill Johnson is? Now, there might, I might have just blanket statement. And listen, I'm not saying I approve. There's a lot of flack that Bethel gets for a lot of things. And I'm not condoning everything they preach, okay? Um, I've followed their ministry. But do you know that he lives in a city that has about 60,000 people? Redding, California. I think the population is 60,000 people. And do you know that Bill Johnson has impacted the whole world? From a small town. Everybody say small town. I mean, globally, like all over the world, people know who Bethel is from their worship to their prophetic ministry to what they're doing. And they birthed that in a very small city. And it's affecting the world. Amen. You guys following my trail. Amen. (laughs) There's purpose. The Lord has purpose for this place. The Lord has purpose for you. Uh. I, I don't think we recorded yesterday's message, right? We didn't record it. There's no way you did. Okay. Well, however it was recorded, I would absolutely recommend if you weren't here to, to find the link or the YouTube or to get it online because Richard did a phenomenal job talking about the Holy Spirit last night. And he was talking about the purpose of tongues. And it was very, very sound and thorough and encouraging and, and enlightening. And I just, I feel like everybody needs to hear it. Amen. And I feel like I'm going to piggyback it just a little bit. Um, Just taking a quick moment to listen here. Let's all lift up our hands and just bow our heads for a moment. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your precious presence. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your movings, the gifts of the Spirit. We are going to minister to people again today. It's going to be wonderful. Hallelujah. And listen, Jesus is good. It's him that does all the power and the change. He's the power. He's the changer. There's one that sows. There's one that waters. But it is absolutely God that's going to give the increase. Take your eyes off of anybody that will be ministering today through the gifts of the Spirit and put your eyes on Jesus because Jesus is interested in getting absolutely all the glory. (laughs) We want to make sure that he does. Amen. Amen. I want us to, to turn to John 16. 
Um, I feel like I'm going to preach, teach a little bit, which is kind of rare for me. (laughs) Me and Richard have this running joke that the Lord's going to flip-flop the way he uses us, and I'm going to become this like really methodical line-upon-line teacher, and Richard's just going to be this flamboyant fireball. (laughs) Do you guys know what flamboyant means? (laughs) It means extra, like just extra. It doesn't mean what you think. Amen. <laughs> John 16. Uh, I just want to read these verses that are so common to us. And we you know Jesus is talking about going away. We know about the death, burial and resurrection that's coming in John 16, 6. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Oh, this is a wonderful, massively awesome truth. Everybody say Truth. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth that it is very expedient. Expedient can translate to better. Better can translate to the most awesome thing that could happen to the body of Christ. That nevertheless, I tell you the truth that it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he, everybody say he, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believe not of me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more and of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it when he, everybody say he, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he will hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He will glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. In a little while, and you shall see me. And again, in a little while, and you shall see me, because I go unto the Father. You shall see me not. I missed that word. (laughs) And I know we know these verses so well, but I just want us to just backtrack all the way back to Genesis now, okay? Um, I don't believe we truly understand the value of the Holy Spirit. And we have heard this in church a lot, you know. But I don't know if we understand the value and even the purpose of Holy Spirit of the whole plan of God, how it was kind of pointing to this big event that was going to happen. You know, if you track in the Old Testament uh, that God from like Genesis all the way to Malachi, (laughs) that he was longing for something. There was a purpose that he had. And if you track the longing, even through like the Mosaic law and, and the, the Levitical priesthood, the animal sacrifice, all the way to the judges, to the prophets, to the kings, to Chronicles, to Ezra, to Nehemiah. If you follow the whole story, have you guys ever read your Bible in here? You should get a lot of amens there. You follow this trail of what the Lord was desiring. And, and you know, we, get, we give David a lot of credit because we're like, David was a man after God's own heart. And usually what people do is they're like, see, like you could live in the worst sin that you can, but have a, God, you know, a heart after God's own heart. And we totally miss, everybody say miss. We miss the heart that he had towards God of something that God truly desired. And the type and shadow in the Old Testament was that God was interested in building a temple. A housing place, a dwelling place 
A place where the Spirit of God could abide. Everybody say abide. abide. That, that even in the Levitical law and the Levitical priesthood, that there was the, the outer courts, the inner courts, and then the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies is where the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Testament would reside. And that was the place that if the priest went in and they were living in this disobedient place where they weren't keeping the animal sacrifice and everything so meticulously, they tied a rope around them. And if they went in there and they had sin, they would die. They'd drag them out and they'd let someone else go back in. Yeah. And the Lord dwelt within this place and it was like his, his presence was abiding. Everybody say Abiding. And see, David somehow tapped into this revelation that he made this covenant with the Lord, that, that he made this, this stand where he said, I will build a dwelling place for you, Lord. And it's like he got the revelation of what God was desiring, was that he desired to indwell a temple. But of course, he was a man of war that had bloody hands, and the Lord showed up and told them, because, you know, you're like a violent, awesome soldier, you know. I'm kind of paraphrasing, it's the... The NLT, the Nathan Living Translation, somebody say glory. <laughs> it's a joke. I know that offends some people and I like to say it. <laughs> so God shows up and says, you're not going to build the temple for me, but Solomon will. And then we all know Solomon in the story and how meticulous it was. Everything that went into building that temple. It's a long process, a long period of time. And then there was that that huge sacrifice that he did where he finally went through that ritual and what God had, you know, commanded. And then he said this amazing consecrated type prayer. And then all of a sudden the glory of God went, woof. everybody go. Woof. And it filled the temple. And usually when the glory of God would fill the temple, everybody would bow. Would, woof, everybody's going down. Like you don't have a choice. Like you're going to bow to the glory of God. And if you track through Psalms, heaven is my home and the earth is my footstool. But what, what house are you going to build for me? Like we, what house can you build for me that I need? It's like he's prophesying. David is. And, and there was this switch that was coming into the new covenant from. And, and I don't know if we understand that, that when Adam fell, like there was a time when man was filled with the spirit of God before death entered in. And there was a fellowship that existed where God was inhabiting a man. God indwelling man. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And Adam had this fellowship and, 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 you know, we God would come in the cool of the day and they would fellowship. And there was just this interaction. And, and of course, we know the story. The day you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. You know, and, and Adam ate the fruit. And I say that it's a piece of pizza because fruit's not appetizing, you know, <laughs> or maybe a burger with grease dripping off. It had to have been something that, that just enticed him. You know, I think there's a lot of imagery that's played there, you know, that I think we. We get caught up on, yeah, there is a walking snake, you know, <laughs> was there? <laughs> so he takes it, he eats of it, boom, man dies. All of a sudden, God comes back and says, where are you? And he's looking for his son whom he'd always indwelt because there was a connection fellowship that they had. And when he came to find it, he knew it wasn't there. And Adam knew it wasn't there. So he took off and ran and hid. And God said, where are you? Have you eaten the fruit that I commanded you not to eat? Well, it was the woman, Lord. <laughs> the best response. Praise God. It's in the Bible. You know, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> well, we know that story very well, but I don't know if we know the significance of what was lost. 
And then how that put mankind in this relationship with God where things got very meticulous. Things got very, uh, here's the ca- here's the commandments, the covenant, you know. And we know the types and shadows, I believe, very well of born again. Behold, I'll write my laws where? In your heart and in your mind. So Old Testament theology, you know, was that God came and inscribed the tablets on stone. Well, it says in Ezekiel that God said, I'll take out that heart of what? Stone. So he inscribed the laws on the stone and said, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. But it was outward because there was no indwelling of God's spirit within man. And so because of that, man had a covenant that was outward where they had to read the law to know what was wrong. Because it says in Romans 7 that I didn't know that I was not supposed to covet until the law came and then sin revived and then I was dead. But before the law, I had no consciousness that covetousness was wrong. Because the spirit of God was not indwelling man. And so man had no moral grid up until the point where God showed up and started to give commandments. And the first one even before that was that, you know, don't murder Cain and Abel, you know. And God starts to introduce what sin and iniquity and righteousness is. And he defined it long ago and it's going to stay there and nobody's going to change it. I don't care what anybody says. Amen. Politically, it doesn't matter. Whatever the new love movement is that's trying to introduce what sin is and what it's not, it's garbage if it violates the Bible. And we need to have some backbone, especially when you're talking to these modern Gen Z and millennials, because they like to stretch things into ridiculous places. And I think it's stupid. Everybody say stupid. <laughs> I do. I really do. A lot of them don't like me. <laughs> Because if you're going to come up and tell me that you could be a Christian and actively live like a homosexual, I'll tell you you're wrong. If you're a Christian and say, I actively live in fornication, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. And there is a hell and a lake of fire. (laughs) We're not going there right now. That'll take me on a whole nother trail. I don't need to go down. There is a hell and there is a lake of fire. And for a Christian to think that they could deliberately disobey God their whole life. And I understand. We go through things where we feel weak at times and we fumble and fall. And the fumbling and falling is because we're choosing to sin. It's not because we're too weak. It's because we're not choosing to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's made us free. There's no such thing as a weak Christian that has the spirit of God within them. There's only a mentality and a perspective that sees yourself as weak. That's why you give in. That's why our mind has to be renewed. Amen. That's why it's so healthy to read the word of God and pray in the spirit and constantly reaffirm the foundation of who Christ is in you. But to habitually live in sin. Long periods of time. See, people are always afraid. They're like, well, we don't know the line. You're not the judge. No, we, we aren't the judge, but we do know the line. It's written in the Bible. And the Bible says the fornicator, the infeminate, the adulterer. You know, there's a whole big list there of that. If you practice these things and if you study that out in the Greek, the practicing is to habitually do. Which means you've made a choice to just live like this your whole life. 
and then you keep walking that direction. If that's you, I say you're not saved. And it's not me that's saying it. It's the Bible. Oh, we got one amen there. Everybody say glory. You cannot live your whole life in sin and, and think. like Let's just crush greasy grace for a few seconds, then I'll backtrack, okay? This is so sound theology that we need in our lives. Because the goodness of God, the goodness of God will draw you to repentance. It doesn't lead you to habitually live in sin. And so if you authentically contact God in a, in a true relationship, His goodness is going to woo you to repentance to where you will eventually have to choose. Who are you going to serve? Will you serve Baal or will you serve Jesus? Will you serve the doctrine of the Nicolaitans that seduced God's servants to commit fornication and live in sexual immorality? Will you listen to that or will you listen to repent? Because he even gave Jezebel space to repent. And she repented not. And here's the repercussion. I'll throw her into a bed and kill her and her children with death. Jesus talking after he has been raised, giving prophetic insight to the church. Don't tell me that he's not going to judge the world in righteousness. It's forever settled and written. And if you have a problem with that, it's okay to have questions, but please don't change what the text says. Okay? Let the text change your questions into answers that might just need to be believed by faith. Okay? I might not fully understand why you're going to do these things, but you said you're going to do it, so I trust you. Because God is God and we are not, and He defines what good and evil is. And if he defines what good and evil is, it's not up for debate where we can question his motives for why he does things. The last track record we have of that was Job and it didn't end well. And I'm not saying the way that things went down in his life, but that last conversation that he had with God, God showed up on the scene and was like, look, I understand. He's like, I understand. But who are you to question me who made the world? Because your infinite wisdom cannot even relate to some of the decisions that I've had to make. And you're like standing and accusing me. And listen, when you start to accuse God, like, well, how could you be just? How could you be just? It's a very dangerous thing. I don't recommend it. You can have questions. But when you start to accuse God as being unjust, you're setting yourself up for a trail that will lead you into some type of greasy grace universalist doctrine that's going to say that one day even the devil and the angels are going to be saved. But the text ends like this at the end of Revelation that whosoever's name was not found written in the Lamb's book of life was cast into the lake of fire with the devil and his angels. What are we going to do with that? Rip it out? You know? And then what context does it allow you to be have your name found written in the book of life? You know, let everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. God knows those who are his and those who are his, they purify themselves even as he is pure. John chapter 1 John 3. If you have this beloved hope that now I'm a son of God, let every man and woman purify themselves even as he is pure. Second Corinthians seven, wherefore, brethren, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Amen. 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 Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Let me show you what the man that doesn't do what Jesus taught is like. The storm's going to come. And we all think a storm in life. 
But the context of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, it says that many on that day are going to say, Lord, Lord. What day? What day? The judgment day. So if you keep Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in context, on that day when you stand before God, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, have I not, have I not, have I not? And he says, depart from me, ye that work what? I never knew you. But what's working iniquity? Let's back up Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Blessed are the pure in heart, poor in spirit, the meek. Like, here's the litmus test of how a Christian is supposed to live. Blessed are those that forgive. <laughs> blessed are those, you know, I'm putting the blessed in there, but I'm doing when you fast, when you give, when you pray. Okay, so Christians fast, pray and give, right? And if you look at a woman and you start to lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. So God says, pluck out your eyes. So there's a, a big old vast instruction teaching that's wonderful. But it, to me, it's the standard of how a Christian should live. And basically what Jesus is saying is if you hear these sayings and you do them, your life will then be built on a rock. And on that last day, when the storm comes of judgment, your house is going to stand. But if you do not do you're going to get to that day and you're built on the sand and God's going to look at you and say, I never knew you depart from me. You that work iniquity. But here's the good news is while you're breathing, there's grace. Everybody say amen. If you're still breathing, you have grace and grace and mercy is vigorously pursuing us to repent, believe the gospel and strive to keep a pure conscience before God and man. And it's simple. Listen, I understand. You might say, well, I don't believe I have the strength. Oh, the Lord has a way of imparting strength to people that's just powerful. He loves weakness. Listen, he is a magnet for weakness, but the gospel is not one of weakness. He's a magnet to our weakness to then trade weakness for strength, because when we're weak, then we're. So then you have power to overcome. Amen. Oh, we're preaching really sound good theology right now. Everybody say Amen. But it's simple. See, repentance is simple as Lord. I'm sorry I missed it. Forgive me. Blood of Jesus goes cleanses you and you have an opportunity to obey God again. And in his mind, it's as if you've never sinned in that moment. Your past is back here. He forgets it. You take a step forward. He's like, that's my champion. They're going to finally do it. Like, watch, they they have been addicted to porn for 20 plus years and they've always gone back. But this moment, that's my son. That's my daughter. Watch them. Hey, hey, Gabriel, look, watch them. They're about to take a step. Woo! Heaven's excited. Amen. Amen? Oh. There's no substitute for obedience. What did Richard say? How did you say that? Say it again. There's no everybody say there's no substitute. There's no substitute. You obey, you grow. You obey, you change. You obey, you transform. You disobey, you stay the same. <laughs> Amen. Oh, I'm sweating. I need to roll my sleeves up. So God was looking for a dwelling place. David understood this, that, that God would indwell a temple. Psalms 40, I think it is. He says, what house are you going to build for me? Earth, you know, it's my footstool. Heaven is my throne. But it, it, it says in that same context in Psalm 40, 41, 42, right around there that Jesus prophesying of him. He says, behold, I delight to do thy will, O God, that thy law is written in my heart and that I will I will take a standard of righteousness and, and, and justly judge with it, you know. Prophetically, this is Psalms. I hope you guys know the scriptures. We're kind of we're going like this all the way to the New Testament. That God desired to indwell man. 
He needed a habitat, a dwelling place. And, and, and we give a lot of credit to born again, new creation. And that's absolutely awesome. The purpose of the death, burial and resurrection, new creation, born again. I am a new man in Christ. That is so fundamentally sound and awesome. Amen. Amen. But I don't think we understand the full purpose of Jesus was not that. Put the brakes on right there, right? Do you know that nobody in the Old Testament had the Holy Spirit the way that we do? I don't know if we understand that. We can agree with it. But then you read what these people did. Like you read what they did and they flipped nations upside down. Hebrews 11 and 12, but they without us, we, you know, they could not be perfected. They could not be perfected. They without us, that there was something better that we were going to have. And you track all the prophecies from from the Old Testament that most of them weren't prophesied in the sense that God would make man a new creation. Most of the prophetic insight was was that God was going to pour his spirit out. That God was literally going to cover the earth with his glory. That if you track the prophecy of what was in God's mind, that there was going to come a day where a promise was going to be released to mankind. And I don't know if we understand that that promise is the fulfillment of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That until he ascended, we just read it, that it's expedient, it's, it's better. I need to go away like I'm out, like I understand my purpose. I'm going to die. I'm going to be raised from the dead. And I'm telling you that it's better for you, because if I don't do this. I cannot send the Holy Spirit. But I don't know if we connect that to the importance of why Jesus died on the cross. Because most of the time, it's just so that you would be washed by his blood and make heaven. Are you guys following me? But he's saying something here like (laughs) Joel chapter two in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, you know, dream dreams, young women. We all know that, right? So Jesus, just get this picture with me from Adam to Moses Joshua, Judges, Ruth, you know, just fast forward. He was the first man we know that was born from the dead. But he was also the first man that was filled with the Holy Spirit. And before that time, a man had not walked with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit can overshadow and, and, and give strength and obviously you could see how david's mighty men would and they just like kill and slaughter and you know and conquer for the lord (laughs) and samson when the spirit would come on him you know and he would slaughter all the philistines sounds so barbaric when you talk about it you know slaughter (laughs) the holy spirit could overshadow and get a purpose across but he could never indwell everybody say indwell he couldn't indwell but God's spirit was in the Holy of Holies. It was a type and shadow. Well, what house are you going to build for me? So the whole methodical prophecy of building a temple, they finally built a habitat for God. God came, boom, filled the temple. And it was like that promise under the shadow was fulfilled, but it was a type. Everybody say type. It was pointing to what was coming. And it seems like God was very interested in this because the whole Old Testament was revolving around this. That it was pointing to this picture of a day 
where the spirit of man would, I mean, the spirit of God would fill the temple. And I know that we all know the cliche terms that your body is what? What is your body? It's the temple of the Holy Ghost. So Jesus, the first man born from the dead, first man that has the precious Holy Spirit indwelling him, walks around, does good, healing all that are oppressed by the devil, you know, tearing it up everywhere he goes, just walking revival. He that knew no sin, he walked a sinless, spotless life. The virgin birth is a miracle in itself. The Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary and conceiving life. Do you know when you got born again, the same thing happened to you? That there was a virgin birth that happened? Oh, my Lord. (laughs) When the Holy Spirit overshadows you and creates something new inside of you, that the same way that Jesus was born in the womb of Mary and then delivered and the Son of God was born... You become a new creation. And there is a miracle that happens when you're saved. It's another virgin birth. I don't know if you guys are following my trail. Born again. How are you born again? Where did conception happen? Holy Spirit had to overshadow you and conceive life in you. And your spirit's made new. But then Jesus, from the age of four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, do you know all of us have come you have kids? Raise your hand. <laughs> you know when your kids hit that stage when they're just trying to be mean, selfish, and lie, you know? I don't think we think like this, you know, but like I remember when it happened with Mila, she was really young. I think she was like two, you know. And we would tell her, it's bedtime, you need to stay in your bed, right? And, and, and well, I'm, t- I'm not going to listen to you, I'm going to get out of my bed. You know, it's like, where is this disobedience coming from? Like, death reigned from Adam to Moses and all that hadn't sinned over the similitude of the transgression, right? Am I too deep? Is everybody following me? And so she's like two years old, right? And we tell her, it's time to go to bed, you know, and, and all of a sudden we hear some racket in the room. And like, I walk in the room and, and we have this bookshelf over here and then her cribs over here and she had gotten out of it and she was trying to read a book. And as soon as I opened the door, she just dropped the book and took off running, trying to climb in the crib. And she literally gets stuck. Like she's like hanging on for dear life and I'm looking at her and she thinks she, I can't see her. Like, and I just bust out laughing at that point. I can't take it. Like I'm trying to be a good parent. I, I lose it. I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. I got to take a picture or something, you know, like... Do you know that she had an automatic response to sin and death to disobey? But do you know when Jesus was three or four, tempted in all points as we were yet without, didn't do that. But he have had to hit that temptation. I don't know how at the age of wherever he was accountable, you know, like and he's four or five and he's Mary tells him something and he's thinking and he has a thought disobey and somehow. He chooses to take that thought captive and obey from the heart something deeper. And then he remains sinless. And he keeps walking. Do you know that that happened to him when he was a baby? He was a toddler. He was a young child. Whenever accountability set in. Everybody say he was young. young. I'm painting a picture here. We teach in church that straight born again Christians are too much babies that they can't overcome 
But if it was happening in Jesus's life when he was very young, guess what could happen in your life when you're really young? I'm not talking about natural age. Okay, so you fast forward. It's like six, seven, and eight, and and he's playing with some kids, and I don't know, maybe they had a, a wooden merry-go-round, you know, and one of the kids gets pushed off, you know, and <laughs> maybe Jesus did it. I don't know. <laughs> like, sounds blasphemous when you think about it, but he was tempted in all points like we were yet without sin. And Mary comes around and says, "Hey, did you did you push that kid? You know," and he doesn't lie. I did. It was me. You know. Maybe you couldn't even push him because that might be a sin in itself, right? <laughs> Richard was thinking that. I could see his, his gears were, boom, I got you, man. <laughs> the age of seven. Everybody say seven. seven. He was walking sin free. So then he hits his teenage years. Oh, hormones are kicking on, man. <laughs> like How God anointed the man. Everybody say the man. God indwelling man. He wanted to reproduce this in all of us. I understand that he was deity. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that. I believe he laid down his deity and did everything that he did as a man. Everybody say man. man. Do you know why I believe that? Because it says in James that God cannot be tempted, tested or tried with what? Sin or evil. So if God cannot be tempted with evil, if Jesus was fully God, how could he be tempted with evil? Well, let's just let that just sit just right there. So if God cannot be tempted with evil, but Jesus was tempted in every single point as we were yet without sin, that means that Jesus had to have laid down his divinity and do everything he did as a man filled with God. Which means he didn't have an edge over what you have. So 13, 14, hormones hit him, you know, and, and a, a beautiful woman passes by. And he sees her ankles because it's probably about as much skin as you could see back then. <laughs> Maybe her neck, you know. <laughs> it's like, how did lust work back then? Because it's like out of control now, you know what I mean? Like... The way people dress and oh my Lord, like, whoo, sometimes I think we have it a lot harder. But when I say that, Jesus is like, nope, <laughs> sin is sin and lust is lust. So he, the pretty woman passes him and he had to have been a male that had hormones the same way that any male has hormones. And a thought, you know, a thought. I don't think we realize that when you're tempted, it has to be a thought in your mind trying to get you to obey it. So a thought goes across his mind to sin, you know, (laughs) and he doesn't. He takes it captive. There's no iniquity found in his heart and he walks blameless again. And he doesn't let his heart lust. He's 13. Everybody say he's 13. Well, you could get a a, a eight year old born again and they could start to walk free from sin. Because the same life that was in Jesus dwells inside of them. And there's no such thing as growth that says, well, they're they're young in the Lord. They need to develop before they overcome. Then what happened with Jesus? Because it's the same life that worked in him would work in you. It's not really different. You're born again the same way he was conceived through the virgin birth. You were conceived when the Holy Spirit overshadowed you. 
and he impregnated you with the seed of God. First, John three, nine. If the seed of God remains in you, it says this man does not sin. It's like we rip those verses out and throw them away and run away. You know, we just inject here. The Lord is merciful and full of grace. And if we do sin, first, John, if everybody say if if we sin, it's a choice. Everybody say it's a choice. If we sin. We have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, who was the propitiation for our sins, not only ours, but for the sin of the whole world. People think when we preach like this, that we're preaching perfection and on one end we are, but on the other end, we're not I'm trying to get you to see what you're capable of and what you can do. I'm trying to get you to see how much strength resides in the power of Christ within your heart. Lifelong addictions. This is not psychology. Listen to me very closely. I get myself in a lot of trouble here, but ministries are formed all over the world where they take the amount of time you have trauma and bad things happen in your life. And then they mark those with how long it's going to take you to grow out of those things. And let me tell you, if that's the case, there's no hope for anyone. How could Jesus look at the woman caught in adultery? Think about this. She was gullible enough to get seduced into a plan where they tricked her. She had to have had a track record where she was probably sleeping around all the time, all the time. And he looks at her and he says, look, you know, people have a debate on what he was writing in the ground. I believe it was the Ten Commandments <laughs> because the way that it was still working for them is that when they would read the law, it would hit their heart and convict them. And then they walked away because they knew that they were guilty. It's just my opinion, but you can take that with a grain of salt, that little piece. Jesus looks at her and he says, I'm not going to accuse you. I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. He didn't look at her and said, woman, I understand you've been damaged in your life. This is like pre-born again. Like you guys following me? She's not even saved yet. Like Jesus hasn't even gone to the cross and he's prophesying. He's, he's proclaiming what new birth realities is going to create. And it's like, hey, like go and sin no more. But he didn't look at her and say, I understand you've had like 15 bad relationships and your heart was damaged here and here. And that's because of that. This happened. He didn't even talk like that. He just went even higher and said, look, go and sin no more. And then he goes on to teach. I'm the light of the world. If any man follows me, how are you going to follow Jesus? You walk in that light that comes alive on the inside of your heart when you get saved. trying to teach something else but the lord keeps taking me somewhere else somebody say glory. glory i'm trying to go this direction he keeps taking me this direction i'm like in a tug of war right now <laughs> he remains sinless into his teenage years to his adult years he gets to the point where he's going to go to the cross and he's sweating great drops of blood and if you think he wasn't resisting sin he was because it says in hebrews you have not strived against sin sweating great drops of blood and so the reason he was sweating blood was because sin was tempting him to disobey god and in that moment he, he says the prayer and this is one of the most wonderful prayers when you feel that like lord if it be willing let the cup pass and you hear the answer no nevertheless not my will but yours be done and there is submission. And that was, I believe, the final submission of the test of him to remain spotless and sinless that like sealed the deal. Like he's ready to give his whole life justly for injustice. And it was like, boom, that's it. You know, 
And then he went to the cross. We all know the story. Death, burial, and resurrection. Went to hell. Suffered in hell. Defeated the devil legally. Amen. Amen. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think of man filled with God and God leaving. From the moment Jesus was born, he did not know what it was like to be separate from God. But the moment he died on the cross is the moment he said, where, where's your spirit? Why have you left me? And God had to absolutely withdraw his spirit from indwelling him. And that's when I believe he went to hell, showed up down there and the devil was like, man, we got him. <laughs> Not sure what went down there during that time. There's lots of elaborate preachings I've heard, you know, <laughs> it's like turns into like a street fighter match, you know. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> Jesus is like zapping dick demons. <laughs> but I know this, that on the third day, it says that how God raised Jesus from the dead, that in Romans 8, 11, that if the spirit of him, everybody say him, see him is a he, that it's better that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to send the comforter to you. The person that raised Jesus from the dead was not Jesus himself. It was the Holy Spirit. And so on that third day, it had to have looked something like this, that Jesus is down there. I don't know what's going on, but all of a sudden the earth and everything begin to shake because the Holy Spirit went and dwelt a man again. But this time in the pits of hell and at that moment, everyone knew down there, this man has been given dominion. And the devil was shaking in his boots. Let me tell you something. The devil was shaking in his boots. He is not your problem. Your problem is you haven't fully recognized that when Jesus conquered him, he gave you every access of dominion over him. Oh, I, I, man, I, rabbit trail. I, I cannot stand people that are always talking about what the devil's doing. I was at lunch with the guy. Oh, man. He had this theory that the better he did with God, the harder the devil would fight him. That theology doesn't exist here in my heart. Because I don't find it in the scripture. I do find, behold, I've given you power over all the power of the enemy, and he by no means shall harm you. (laughs) Amen. He that dwells, dwells. You dwell in the secret place of the Most High. You abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Like, there is a divine protection over the enemy if you know your authority. Most of us don't know it. We don't use it, and he walks all over us. But we can have faith and believe that we can deal with him. But listen, it's really hard to deal with him when you're living in compromise. Because compromise takes away your authority. These two things go hand in hand. This guy was eating lunch with him and he was saying, I'm doing everything right. And he was hitting the table. He was like, I know the devil's coming after my family. The devil's coming after my family. He's just hitting the table. Proud of it. Two weeks later, his daughter was in a car crash. Car was totaled and she almost died. So we got to go to lunch right after that. And he's verbiage still. He's just, devil's coming after me. And I was just like, can I just, can I just interrupt you? I was really calm. And I said, have you ever thought that your faith caused that to happen? And he just took a step back, looked at me like he wanted to hit me. Got real quiet for like 30 seconds. See, he knew the word. Everybody say the word. (laughs) And then he looks at me and says, you're right. 
And it's like he had this boom. And I said, why aren't you going around saying the Lord's protecting my family against everything the devil can do? Where's that verbiage at? Because you're going to have what you say. You know that, right? (laughs) Oh, everything's going wrong. You talk to people and they're like, man, it's just life's tough. Okay, let's just stop right there. Your life is going to be very tough because you believe it is. And you're going to have that reality. And you're creating it constantly with your words and your mind. And even new age people believe. I'm not trying to mix things, but I've heard new age preachers talk about shaping the reality through demonic entities, you know, with their words. How much more do we have with the Holy Spirit? Now, am I saying he's listen, he's, he's going to try. Is he going to try? Absolutely. Is he going to start? You know, what is he going to try everything he can? But here's the thing. He tried everything he can against Jesus. And in that moment, how the Holy Spirit, the spirit of him went down into hell and it woof, and indwelt man again. The devil knew then he had lost. And I don't even know if Jesus exchanged words with him or what. He might have just been like, peace, I'm out. Boom. It's over from this point, you know. <laughs> And he turned around and gave the same dominion to the church. He walked out of hell freely and the devil could do nothing about it. He couldn't stop him with death. And so it says in Hebrews how he freed us from death, you know, and the fear of death and the fear of bondage to death. So if death lost its dominion, it was the last enemy that it says will be swallowed up when this mortal puts on immortality. So if that last enemy swallowed up with complete glorification, you already have the type of that right now. Victory over death. How the devil controlled people through that fear. And that's where all of his ruling and reigning comes from. Let me just just liberate you that you have dominion over him right now. He has no right to come into your life and stomp on things and mess up things. And it's garbage. If you believe it, though, you'll have the fruit of what you believe. And he's my, my pastor Dave used to always say he's the he's the the cloak, you know, where the matador, the devil's the and he would be the he's like faking you out, you know, and you you'd go to charge and then it's but you don't see that he's holding the cloak, you know, whatever that thing is called. Let's just unmask that really quickly. He has no power and dominion over a Christian that knows their rights, their worth and their authority. All that goes into symptoms of sickness and disease. He bore our sickness and he carried our pain. Psalms 103. Bless you, Lord, all my soul and all that is within me. Do you talk like this? Do these words exist in your mouth? That he's forgiven all of my iniquities. He's healed all of my diseases. That he restores my youth like that of eagles. Do you think like this? Because you can. And the more you think, talk and act like that, the more you'll have the fruit of it. Amen. A lot of times people get hit with symptoms and they wait. Well, God's just going to heal me one day. I've watched people, many people die in that state. Oh, I don't mean to be. And they were waiting, though. They're waiting. God's, but it's like, but you hear them talk and, and there's no ounce of victory in their lips. If there's no ounce of victory in your lips, you're not going to win. Like, trust me, you're not going to win. God just doesn't decide, well, I'm finally going to come down and touch you. And then he picks who he wants to heal and who he doesn't. Faith is available to everybody. And it says that without faith, it's impossible to. So how do you think you're going to get anything without faith? It's not fair. It really isn't, but it is fair. It's fair, but it's not fair. 
Because if you don't do anything, you won't get anything. But he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. My God, we're like covering lots of ground today. Amen. We need to change how you're thinking, how you're talking. You need to get the word in your mouth and let it become how you how you live. Like you just you, you eat, breathe, think it, and you you know it's just, just not afraid. Like I'm not afraid. Like how rich is like COVID? Like I'm not afraid. I got COVID when I was eight days into a fast. It made no sense to me. Like I was eight days, and all of a sudden I felt that demon jump on me. It's a demon. Everybody say demon. It's a spirit, and you have dominion over that spirit. And the psyche of it tried to get me. And, and I, for like 24 hours, I was so lit because I'd been fasting. I just sat in my bed. And this is what warfare looks like. I sat in my bed for like 24 hours. Everybody say 24 hours. I didn't sleep. I was like, by stripes I am healed. This demon has no right over me. And I felt invigorated like there was my spirit pushing this demon off. And they were clashing. And I could feel the spiritual warfare, but I wouldn't back down. And I felt it break. And I got over it like that. And the symptoms just... Didn't mean that the devil didn't try to come test the ground with the same symptoms everyone else was getting. I just did something about it with what I know the Lord's given me. It doesn't make me special. I'm not more anointed than you. What I did is I did something about it with what the Lord has given me. You could too. Amen? talking financial talking health we're talking your future we're talking freedom from sin so many directions you could take this but you could live your life on purpose deliberately walking more into god in all levels but you're the one that makes those decisions you're the one that's going to do something about it amen also holy spirit gets jesus up out of the grave you know he he comes back and ascends he's walking the earth and he just starts showing himself to his disciples you know and and it's just testifying of his resurrection a lot of them don't even recognize him you know and he has to open their eyes and all kinds of things that happen but i want you to get the most significant thing that we miss is when he said born again you know he's he's about to ascend and he's with all of his apostles and it says that he breathes on them and when he breathes on them, it doesn't say that they became a new creation. He breathes on them and he says, receive the. Oh, Lord. You can't have born again without the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of him. Everybody point up and say him. Yeah. The spirit of him that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in me and you. That same spirit will quicken your mortal body and give you life. But see, we've always said that it's our spirit, but I don't believe your spirit can do it without his spirit. Amen. Your spirit independent of him is dead. Oh, amen. We're stretching now. Somebody say glory. glory. Father, the glory that I have is the way that you are in me. I would be in them and you in us. We would all be one. He's talking born again there. But born again means connection to God's spirit. I and them, thou and me, that we may be made one. So he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And it, and it didn't seem like it happened right then, obviously, because he hadn't ascended yet. So he prophetically says, receive the Holy Spirit and breathes on them. Jesus had not ascended yet. And he's very clear. Unless I go away, the comforter cannot come. 
So even the prophetic breathing of saying, receive the Holy Spirit, it did not happen in that moment because his instructions after that were now go ye to the upper room and tarry there. And we all know the story, right? But I don't know if we understand the ending of how when Jesus ascended and he went to sit down at the right hand of God, when he said it is finished, I don't think we understand that the most monumental thing that happened at that moment was he was actually able to finally release the promise. Everybody say promise. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Which means his whole, the Old Testament pointing all the way to the new with the death, burial and resurrection had a purpose. And Jesus is talking about it in John 15, 16, 17, that he's summing his whole life up saying, this is what I was doing this for. That when I go away, I'm finally going to be able to send the comforter to you. And when I send the comforter to you, and a lot of Christians, I hear them say this. They say, you know, it's that what they had then is better than what we have now because Jesus was with them. Everybody go. That's not true. Because Jesus said it's better that I go away. So that means what we got after he went away is better than when he was here. Because when he was here, he was not indwelling man because God was looking for a dwelling place. Heaven is my home. Earth is my footstool. Yeah. I'm painting a very vivid picture for a reason that there is so much importance that heaven looks at the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. His, his purpose, his reason, our, 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 our understanding of him, our need for him, our, our very dependency to rely on him and to know that the whole gospel was about a promise that was coming. And we all say it was Jesus. It absolutely was. But Jesus had a mission to reproduce himself. And the only way that he could is by going to the father and releasing the promise of the spirit because it wouldn't happen any other way. So, woo, rushing mighty wind comes in. Acts 2, woo, you know, boom, hits everyone. They're walking around drunk. They're starting to speak in tongues, you know, and everybody's like, what are these men, drunk, you know? And, and Peter stands up and preaches a very profound sermon. It says, why look you at these men like they're drunk, but just know this, that that which was prophesied in Joel has just come to pass. And Holy Spirit, that was like that moment. It wasn't just that the apostles got filled with the Holy Spirit. The promise of the death, burial, and resurrection was now boom and given to the whole world. Which means born again was supposed to be simultaneous, I believe, with indwelling Holy Spirit. And we've separated them way too much. Well, are you saved? Well, you could be saved, but you don't got Holy Ghost, you know. But think of the way Jesus did it. He breathed on them. We say that's when they got born again. And then however many days later, boom, indwelling of Holy Ghost. Because born again was the cleansing of the temple to make you holy. But that wasn't enough. God didn't just want to make you holy so that you can have this holy tabernacle and go around and say, I'm free from sin. He cleansed your temple because God was always looking for a dwelling place. So born again, is, it, it was the, the precedence of what he intended all along was that he was looking for a home where he could dwell. And so when he made us new creations, it's not just that we're new creations. He made us a new creation for a purpose. So that we could receive the promise that was always supposed to come, which was God's spirit in dwelling his temple, which you are now the temple of the what? Holy Spirit. 
And I feel like in God's mind that born again was just the scratching that he was trying to get across to the main course. Just Holy Spirit coming and indwelling man. Because he couldn't indwell us unless we were cleansed. Amen? But that should open our eyes that you'll never be able to walk this Christian walk. You will never be able to walk this Christian walk. Everybody say, I will never. never. (laughs) You will never be able to walk this Christian walk unless you get intimately acquainted with Holy Spirit. I don't even think you can walk free from sin without his involvement. It's the washing, renewing, and regeneration by the Holy Ghost, Titus 2 and 3. But born again and filled, they're supposed to go whoop, because they were one thought that Jesus' mission was. Get them saved, and now let me indwell them, because your temple is cleansed. But the vitality of us understanding that, listen, this parallels with what Richard taught last night. He that prays in an unknown tongue. He speaks not unto man, but unto... Yeah. And how be it in the spirit he speaks mysteries. Your spirit's being edified. We all know this, that if I pray in an unknown tongue, I'm in direct contact and communication with God, but it's precious Holy Spirit. And the vitality of the prayer language that he's given us, that it's way more. Listen, it is way more. We don't understand the depth of it yet. It's way more than what even us preachers that have been preaching this for a long time understand. That it is an absolute go-between way where you can contact and communicate with Holy Spirit one-on-one on an individual basis. And it's relational. Everybody say relational. It's not transactional. It's relational. It's not the purpose is of doing this is so that he can tell you go here and that's the end of it. The purpose of doing it is relational. Everybody say relational. See, God was looking for a habitat, a place to dwell, a place that he can fill and fully immerse himself in. And we became that temple that born again. But after born again, you were filled with the spirit of God. And that filling is supposed to be a relational intimacy that constantly develops. Ephesians 3. That you would be strengthened with might by his. Everybody say his. That you would be strengthened with might by his spirit within your inner man. That Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth, the length, the depth and the height. And to know, everybody say no. To know the love of God. That passes all understanding and knowledge. Now unto him. Everybody say him. Let me just let me just keep pointing now unto him. Everybody say him that his spirit. Everybody say his see that his spirit would strengthen you within your inner man. Now unto him that is able to do abundantly far above all that we ask or think according to the power that works where. But who's doing it? It's the Holy Spirit. And it's working inside of you. Quickening you, reproving you. Reminding you, chastening you, convicting you, doing everything that the gospel intended that Jesus taught. It's the Holy Spirit's job to constantly enforce all of that in our lives. But most people do not access the availability of knowing that you 
are filled with the Spirit of God. And the accessibility to know Him intimately. Everybody say intimately. You're not going to get around praying in the Spirit. It is an absolute method and way that the Lord intended us to know Him relationally. Which, yes, it brings instruction. Yes, it brings guidance. Yes, it produces prophecy. Yes, it takes us further into the will, plan, and purpose, plan, and pursuits of God. But it was ultimately supposed to be a way that you and Holy Spirit could commune in the spiritual language that heaven understands. That our spirit understands because it's now made one with him. And the more that we pray, the more, more than anything, I believe, the more that we pray, the more you're going to know Holy Spirit. Everybody say no. no. See, we give a lot of credit to born again, but I believe Jesus wants credit to go to the promise. The born again was the start. It was the start. But what Jesus saw the end of his mission, that if I go away, the promise can be released. Holy Spirit could indwell them and it's going to be better than even if I was here. And most of us are walking around half defeated, not knowing that you actually possess the spirit of the living God. That he's in you, you're in him and you are one. It's like so in sync, like, ooh, and he wants us to tap into that knowledge and knowing that there is a wellspring of life that we could tap into constantly where we are reaffirmed in our identity. Who am I in Christ Jesus? I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's Holy Spirit's job to take of Christ and show it unto me, which is a constant quickening, chastening, teaching. It's always going on. It's where conviction comes from. I used to say conviction originates in your nature. It does not. It originates from Holy Spirit to you. You are a branch connected to the vine that is in the Father. And the Father generates all the power that goes into Christ, that goes into you. And Holy Spirit's the one that's making all of it happen. Because he convicts the world of sin, reproves us, you know, righteousness. Might get those backwards because I'm so lost right now, but it's so good. <laughs> so when you're being convicted, who do you think is convicting you? And that's relational. Listen to me. Conviction is relational. It's not dogmatic. It's not commandments just to be dictator. It's relational. I'm in them and thou and me that we may be made one and, and you'll bear much fruit. And how are you going to bear much fruit when you hear my sayings and do them? If my words abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. What's the words? The constant flow of the living word through the power of the Holy Spirit. He speaks, we listen. He speaks, we obey. He speaks, you know, we spend time with him. We fall in love with him. We pray, we worship. We develop our intimate relationship with him. And we surrender more and more for man to be filled with God again. The anointing is not you. It never was you. It was always the Holy Spirit. He's the only power source that exists for us to produce miracles, for us to have faith. Like he's the one that's going to do it all. It's not in my hands. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. The more you I believe this, the more you pray in the spirit, the more you will absolutely tap into the gifts. They're a direct link and contact to flowing in the gifts of the spirit. So if you're a preacher and you say you don't flow in the gifts, I'll say you don't pray. Oh, somebody say glory. <laughs> if you're a preacher and you don't flow in the gifts, I say you probably don't have an avid prayer life with Holy Spirit. Because if you did, you would be so sensitive to him. You would feel him. You would know it. You would, man, he, and you would start to operate and flow with his mind and his heart. Amen. 
oh, if, if, if all of us, and I know this, 70% of you don't even do this. You know I'm called to be a prophet, right? <laughs> I don't say that much, but I have this gift that you could try to fool me all you want. <laughs> but I could see where you're at. And I don't use that condemningly. But everywhere I go, the Lord lets me know where people are really at. And like if we literally all just would take like 15 or 20 minutes a day and just started to pray in the Spirit. Everybody say 15 minutes. 70% of you in here aren't doing this. (laughs) I love humility, amen? (laughs) See, this is where I'm preaching this so vividly that I don't know if we understand the purpose of the gospel revolved a lot around the Holy Spirit and his, his, his place in our life. And then to know these things and to not even give Him 15 minutes of our day, like we're doing ourselves a disservice. It's the most valuable thing that you could, like if you, like I pray in tongues all the time. It has been one of the most valuable sources of of me knowing the Lord, knowing direction, knowing how to preach, knowing how to flow, knowing how to step out and hear the voice of God. None of that would happen in my life if I did not develop an active prayer life. But see, I developed an active prayer life without those things on my mind. What was on my mind is, God, I want to know you. And the more that I know God, the more he works his will, plan, purpose in me. And now unto him. Everybody say him. That's Holy Spirit. Now unto him. That's able to do exceedingly far above all that you ask or think according to that power that works in you. Now unto him, 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 him. But you can access him. You have full access to him at any moment that you want, at any time in your life. You could do it while you're driving. You could do it while you're cooking. All the moms that are, that are nursing babies and washing dishes, you can pray in tongues because your understanding is unfruitful, but your spirit is absolutely being edified. Which means the more you give time to that, the more you're going to develop a relationship with the purpose of why Jesus died. Was for the promise. So that you would be indwelt by God and know him and walk with him and fellowship with him. Oh, 15 minutes a day. Listen to me. I'm challenging you. Add this to your life. Add this to your life. Add this to your life. 15 minutes. It doesn't cost you anything. This will benefit you more than anything you could invest your time into. Add this to your life. 15 minutes. Everybody say 15 minutes. See, now unto him. Everybody say him. So you want access to him. 15 minutes a day. Now unto him. That in those 15 minutes while you're praying in the spirit can do way more than you ask or think. Go way above your visions and dreams and desires and and way above what you think the will of God is in those 15 minutes. Now unto him, precious Holy Spirit, he's going to work something in you while you're praying. And it's going to go far above and exceed your expectations, but it's going to produce something in you. It's going to produce being strengthened by his spirit within your inner man. That you could see the purpose of the gospel clearer. Amen. So please, Sunday, you could start this Monday morning. You could start this tonight. There's been times where I'm so busy in my life that, that I feel like I don't have time. It's a lie. Everybody say it's a lie. <laughs> because you can pray in tongues whenever you want. 
pray on the job. You could pray while you're doing other things. Oh, you could pray while you're ice fishing. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> I got to go ice fishing for the first time, and it was amazing. I just thank you guys for doing that. It was awesome. <laughs> but, I mean, I fish all the time. Richard knows this. We fish. And when we go fish, we're not talking usually. Like, well, I'll be singing in tongues usually. <laughs> Zach knows we'll go out on this boat we're on this lake right and it's like a private lake where there'll be like five or six other fishermen there you know on their boats and and I'm just singing as loud as I can at the top of my lungs you know and those other fishermen probably hate me (laughs) I'm constantly praying I'm constantly praying everybody say constantly if I'm in conversation with someone and, and it stops and it gets quiet, you can't see my mouth's not moving because I've learned to do it so just subtly without people knowing. A big part of why I love COVID with the mask is I could do it a lot louder. No one knew. I'm just rocking that mask like Sharabasik. And, and people are like, I'm against the mask. I'm like, man, this is like it's working in my benefit right now. Like, I'm not afraid of this thing, but not everybody's going to think I'm as quacky as I am now, you know. And I had that thing on. I'm just like, everywhere I go, everywhere I go. Everybody say everywhere. I, I think of tongues as one of the most single, most valuable things in my life. I, I give time to it. I give energy to it. I give effort to it. And I've been doing this for over 15, 16 years that it's such a part of my life. I don't even think about it anymore. It's just how I live. And it's like drinking water. If I don't do it, I know something's wrong. I start to feel like, man, it's just my, my I'm so in love with the communion that I get with Holy Spirit that with my physical man, I contact physical things. Right. But with your spiritual man, you contact spiritual things. God is a and we are. So the more you pray, the more you contact God and it goes beyond intellect, beyond understanding, beyond emotion. And it roots you and grounds you in the love of God in a place that's walking by faith, regardless of what you feel. And you can have it. Everybody say, I can have it. <laughs> while you're driving, while you're showering, while you're cooking, while you're, you're working, if you have a job that permits it, whatever you're doing, you could start to introduce this in your life and it's going to bear fruit. It's going to produce life and it's going to be one of the best decisions that you learn to do and maintain. Amen? Amen. So to the 30% of you, keep on going. To the 70%, the Lord wants a repentance. Because a lot of you in here know these things so well, that they become so taboo to you. They're so cliche. They're so, are we going to talk about tongues again? I already know what that is, you know. Like tongues again, I, I know about tongues. We've been talking about this for 20 years, you know. But it's not. It's the most lifeful, amazing things. And we should all be getting excited about it when we hear it. Because if you know what it produces, you're like, oh, that's Jesus. Like, we all need to hear this and we all need to do it. I want us to see that Jesus's intent was beyond born again. It was to release the promise of the spirit. And we all have access to him 100 percent right now.